The divisional round is here. Eight teams the shot at the conference championships for breaking down every game. Will King Henry return for the Titans? Will the Niners give Rodgers and the Packers issues? What kind of fireworks will we get from Chiefs' bills? Plus, the head coaching carousel continues. We'll look at every team with an opening and discuss who could go where next season. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great to be with us here on the GM Shuffle. We'll break down all the games plus the coaching vacancies, but behind every great man is a great woman. I know that with my wife, Eamon, and we know that my man, Michael Lombardi, his wife, Millie. Yeah. Happy birthday to Millie. Well, how was the celebration? Well, it continues to go on. I mean, Bert <laughs> Millie's birthday celebrations never last just a day. I mean, first of all, you have the the normal celebration. And then, of course, when her children come back, then you're going to have to have another one. So it'll go, but it's been <laughs> great. It's awesome. It's fun, you know, and uh, to see the grandkids wish her a happy birthday and sing to her, to me, gives you so much joy. And you feel their love for her, which is incredible. So without her, we really wouldn't have been able to make it this far. There's no doubt. So we appreciate it. Happy birthday. And many, many more. You make you think about the sacrifices that women make for people who work in football, like yourself, who worked your whole life. When I was watching the John Madden documentary, like imagine how much work his wife did, right? Yeah. He was in the cruiser. He was he was gone for months at a time. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you know, and they run the household. I mean, people say, how many times have you moved? Well, I really haven't moved at all. Millie's moved all the time because <laughs> I usually just take off and go. And then so <laughs> handling the kids at school and handling this and all that. I mean, it's really kind of remarkable. And it's very, very she sacrificed a lot of her career, you know, and yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people want to have careers too. And so it, it really was, but the dividends that you pay for that, are, the, to me, this is the greatest tribute for her birthday is, is because of that, we get to experience this, these incredibly beautiful two families with two boys and a little girl and one and two boys and, and another, and that makes it all worthwhile. So it, it really is the, the results, the process was hard, but the results based on what she was able to do is remarkable. 
We're definitely in a results-oriented business, Mike. You're right about that. And certainly right now, there's lots of teams who are looking for better results. And we kick it off with a fan base that we notably pissed off on Monday. The, the amount of tweets and texts. I was on Calgary Sports Radio doing my usual hit, talking you know, Baseball Hall of Fame, talking NFL. By the way, hey, tell your boy Lombardi he's wrong. Sean Payton's contract is not up next year. His contract isn't up until 2026. Don't try to poacher a guy. To which we say... Is this the first time ever a contract's been broken? Like, if ever you want to get out of a contract, it can be done, right? Yeah. You know, I love when they said, Lombardi, you're not hearing anything. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I, I'm not hearing anything. I just made it all up. I'm I'm now become John Irving. I'm going to write a novel about it. I mean, <laughs> the seriously. The rule according to Garp. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, a Cider House rules. Here I am. You know, I'm just crafting another one up here. I mean, look, the, the, the reality of it is, is I do think there is... And I've talked to people very close to Sean. I haven't asked Sean directly. I will admit that. But I have talked to people very close to Sean. And and I think, and as I said in the pod, and you, you know, we didn't delete anything off the pod last week. We kept it up there on the pod. I'm not taking anything back that I said. The reality of it is, is that, I mean, every coach goes through this, especially coaches that have been at one place for a long time. I mean, the the old days, 10 years was the golden rule for head coaches. You stay one place 10 years, you probably need to get out. You need to recycle. You know, you need to recharge your batteries, kind of get a new, new, fresh life. It went Lombardi did it, Walsh did it. A lot of the great coaches have done it. So, like, what what does it matter if he has a contract? I mean, if he resigns and he goes and does Monday night football, I mean, do you think that contract, they're going to, you know. So, it's, it's really kind of bizarre how the reaction was by Saint fans. Look, I, I wouldn't want to lose Sean Payton if I was a Saint fan either. <laughs> I wouldn't. I mean, I would be right where with you. I would be annoyed that he would want to leave. I was annoyed when Larry Brown left the 76ers. So, you know, I, I feel their pain. But that, that's just what's going on behind the scenes. If you think, if these people that are attacking us, if they think what they're reading from all these insiders in the NFL is really what's going on in the league, they, they, they think Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. That's all I'll say at that. <laughs> Those that'll know, no. I believe that with regards to the New Orleans Saints, if indeed Sean Payton makes a move. First off, those Chicago Bears, they fired their head coach, Matt Nagy, and their GM, Ryan Pace. There's been notable completed interviews so far. Jim Caldwell, Brian Dable, Matt Eberflus, that's the Colts DC, second interview planned for next week. Former Eagles head coach, Doug Peterson, and former Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores, who right now is the betting favorite. They also have interviews scheduled with Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Leslie Frazier, and Dan Quinn. And of course, there are rumors around Ryan Day, Josh McDaniels, and the big one, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan. What's the latest you think, Mike, with regards to Chicago? Well, you know, they, they, they've, they're still interviewing GM candidates, and they say the GM will have a say on the coach unless they feel like they can get a coach who's far superior to what they have. I mean, I, I, I would think they're bringing Eberflus back. So I think you got to follow trees here a little bit. Polian and Tony Dungy are kind of together in a tree, right, of this latest tree. And Eberflus comes from the Rod Marinelli, Tony Dungy school. So there's a linkage there. There's definitely a linkage. And I think they really like Matt Eberflus and probably feel like they can, you know, if they can get their defense turned around and manage their quarterback, they're off to the races. But I think what's going on more than anything, and I think you can see it by the names of the people that are getting interviewed, that the NFL has basically devalued the head coaching position. They have really stripped and made the head coaching position really not as it, when I grew up and when I was watching the game, the, not the most significant position in the organization. They may pay it that way, but it's only going to be a piece to an organizational pie. For example, in Minnesota, 
I am told they want to hire a very young coach who they can grow with together, who's going to include all the other elements of their organization, the analytical department. Everybody's going to be collaborative. This is the trend that's going on in the National Football League. I would say the only job that's currently open that doesn't have that kind of structure and belief philosophy would be the Las Vegas Raiders because I think Mark Davis will hire somebody and that person will run the entire organization. I think that person will run the personnel. He he will stay old school. I think what you're seeing in the NFL is a lot of teams changing what matters and they want a young coach, a play caller, one side of the ball, and then basically have their organization lead it through. And and I think we're headed for more losing seasons, and I think we're headed for a topsy-turvy world as this goes continues to go on. And I, I think that's going to be the hardest challenge that some of the – it's going to be a cold reality. But look, you know, like Clemenza said, you know, every three or four years, we got to go through this stuff, right? You know, so this is what's going to happen. Cleans up the bad blood. You just you know, yeah. assault everyone, kill all the five families, you're good to go. Broncos, uh, they fired head coach Vic Fangio. As you've said all along, Mike, Dan Quinn is going to be the guy. They've also had interviews with Kellen Moore, the Cowboys OC, Patriots linebacker coach Gerard Mayo, Nathaniel Hackett, apparently going to interview Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, perhaps. But it's going to be DQ, right? I think so. And I mean, unless the contract, unless contract negotiations break down or unless one of these jobs he goes for an interview just makes it so his worthwhile that he does it. I mean, there's nothing definite in the NFL, so you can't say it's a lock. I think all signs point to Dan Quinn in Denver. There's no denying that. And I think that Dan Quinn wants to go through the process. I think Denver wants to go through the process to be able to find out exactly what they had. You know, we wrote about this for the Daily Coach on uh, Tuesday. It's what we call the secretary problem. And the secretary problem is 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 a mathematical uh, situation when you want to try to hire people. Okay, so what what you do is you take you you have an opening for a job, a secretary job or a head coaching job, and you interview fifteen candidates. Of those fifteen candidates that you enter that you interview, you pick thirty seven percent, whatever that number comes out to, thirty five percent. Those are the final finalists for the job, right? Now, most people would bring them back for a second interview, right? The secretary pool basically says simply this. Now, after you do this, you go out and try to find somebody who you haven't interviewed, 10 more people who are better than the three finalists. And then when you do that, you pick your coach. And it's kind of fascinating because the Colts did this. This is what the Colts did. So the Colts went through the process. They're hiring Josh McDaniels. McDaniels left them on at the altar and they went back into the pool and interviewed people that they didn't interview and they got Frank right. So it's really kind of like, why wouldn't you do this? Like it kind of works. The problem is what fans don't understand is how much the agents control what's going on in these coaching searches. The agents control the flow of information. The owners rely on the agents. The owners rely on guys. I mean, Jay Glazer has a lot of influence in these jobs. Adam Schefter has a lot of influence in these jobs because they're talking and they're gathering information from them. It may not always be the most accurate information. It's people's opinions of other people. What has always fascinated me about the National Football League is, is you and, and you've been a lifetime in television, is ESPN wouldn't necessarily value what CBS said about it, somebody else. They would either make their decision independent of that, right? And they don't talk to one another. But in the NFL... The Bears talk to the Lions and the Lions talk to the Broncos as if these teams really are trying to help you. And they believe the words and they believe it. It's strange. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. You wouldn't have Tony Romo when he first did an audition for CBS. CBS calling ESPN and hey, what do you think? We're going to yeah. hire Tony Romo. Any intel on that? Like, no, 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 we're keeping this guy to ourselves. That's it. There's, there's no information sharing. They make their own minds up. They make their own minds up. Whereas in the NFL, nobody makes their own mind up. Nobody really knows what they're looking for. They're casting this long net. They're doing these interviews, and anybody can fool you in an interview. Anybody could tell you what you want to hear, and yet there's and when you put the tape on, like Jonathan Gannon, right? Like, mm. tell Eagles, me DC. when Eagles DC, he's been up for three jobs. I'd like to know what tape you sh- I should watch <laughs> that makes me believe he's ready to be. A- he may be a head coach five years from now, but when you look at his portfolio and you look at his resume compared to Andy Reid or compared to Bill Belichick's, when they were going to become head coaches, you can definitely see, and that's maybe a title of a book, the devaluation of head coaches. Mm. College football hasn't done this. Pro has. Yeah, college football, there's no question. We all know there's one man running the roost, and that is the head coach. Texans, they fired their head coach, David Culley, which, by the way, team was supposed to be horrible. David Culley, I thought, did the best he could, but whatever. They want to go in a different direction? Fine. You got options like Brian Flores, uh, offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi with the Chargers, and former Steelers wide receiver Heinz Ward. All those three have interviewed. Now, the rumors... Texans associate head coach, Lovey Smith, of course, former Bears coach, Leslie Frazier, Bill's defensive coordinator, and Gerard Mayo. Right now, the betting favorite is Gerard Mayo, the Patriots linebacker coach. How about that? Well, you know, it's funny. So Schefter and Wodes are up for new contracts, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen this. I mean, Andrew Marshawn's written quite a bit about this in the New York, New York Post. They could go to the Athletic, apparently, yeah. Or they could go to the, not the Athletic, they could go to Caesars. Oh, that's right, Caesars. That's right, that's right. It, it's Caesars. I think they could go to a betting company. Let's just put it in that category, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is why they could go. Because Schefter, after this job opened up, tweeted, because he's got great sources in Houston, that Gerard Mayo is going to be the number one candidate, could be the number one candidate. Well, that's going to change the betting market. Like you can see just in this Houston situation why Schefter would be so valuable to a betting company, why Woj would be so valuable to a betting company, because they're going to put these odds out there. You know, like if I knew who was going to be the Raider coach and I had inside information, right, that I could bet that or tip people off to that and let it go. And that shifts the market. Whereas Chef, Schefter and and Woj, they do such great jobs. Jay Glazer, the same thing. And it almost is like, like if you're Schefter or if you're Woj, you don't have to be on 77 programs a day. You know, all you have to do is stay at home, start, and, and you're going to make more money than ever. So that to me is the perfect example of why they're in such high demand now is the average fans wondering like, what's the deal? That's the deal right there. There's huge money to be made on those betting lines and they can influence the betting number. It's fascinating. And for the Texans specifically, I believe they're, Casario said the other day that it's unlikely Deshaun Watson ever plays for the team again. So yeah. that's going to be a major issue there for the new head coach. You know, you know what's going to be interesting is if Nick changes. So Nick, Nick Cesario, when he was at the Patriots, he was in the coaching box. He helped Josh McDaniels. He's very good up there. He handled all the, you know, the personnel, the coverages, and he would give information too. When he's down in Houston, he's doing the same thing. Like, I think at some point he's got to say, look, I'm the general manager. I can't be on the headset store the game like that's going to be really hard to do and so maybe he hires a young head coach too who's going to tolerate that but i don't see how that really benefits the organization i think there has to be a line of demarcation between the gm and the head coach and again you gotta let the head coach have his moment but 
again, we're seeing the devaluing of a head coach. Yeah, they're both such important jobs. It's, a, it's really incredible to imagine one person doing both the head coach and the GM job. The Jacksonville Jaguars, which I'd like to call this mush, in terms of a Bronx tale. Remember, mush was the biggest loser. So yeah, of course. Yeah, the Jaguars, this is the biggest loser job, okay? Like, if you want to really be the head coach of this team, replace it. Remember, Meyer, good luck being mush. You got Daryl Bevel, the Jags interim head coach. Todd Bowles, who I think should be a head coach, a great defensive coordinator. Jim Caldwell, Kellen Moore, former Texans head coach Billy O'Brien, Doug Peterson again, and Byron Leftwich, right now the favorite, former Jags quarterback. I, I mean, I'm told Billy O'Brien's not in it. Okay. I mean, I'm told he's not in it at all. So you can scratch him off the list. I'm told they won't hire a coach maybe until the championship week. I think that's the other thing, too, is today's Thursday. We're taping the show Thursday morning, right? So the league office doesn't want any coaching rumors coming out Saturday or Sunday to take away from the game. Right. So if I think if Dan Quinn's going to become the Broncos head coach, it'll be on Monday or Tuesday or next week. If any of these jobs are filled, it'll probably be then. Uh, I doubt if they do it sooner, they could. You know, anything's possible. But to me, the Jags are going to continue. They're bringing guys back. Eberflus is a hot commodity here. Mm. Uh, you know, he's another hot commodity on this. Left, which would be, I think they want an offensive coach. But again, this is going to be another devalued. They're going to, they want their organization, not that it's been very good over the last 12 years, to help the head coach. How that works out, I have no idea. Raiders, they fired head coach John Gruden. Uh, the word is it's not going to be Basaccia. So you got Gerard Mayo, scheduled interview. Other rumors, Eric Bieniemy, Raiders defensive coach, defensive coordinator, excuse me, Gus Bradley, Byron Leftwich, and the one who I think it's going to be, Jim Harbaugh. If they give Jim Harbaugh John Gruden type money, he'll come. I, I don't know what they're playing. They're interviewing Dave Ziegler, who's a very good personnel guy from the Patriots, and they're bringing him in for their head coach, for their GM search first. So. I don't know what that means. I know they want to talk to Ed Dodds, the, the the Indianapolis assistant general manager, who's also very good. He was in Oakland with us. Uh, he started out in Oakland with with us then. So, you know, but they haven't put a slip in for him as of yet. So I, I think between Mark Davis, Marcel Reese, and Ken Herrock, the former general manager of the Falcons and also a former Raider, they're all helping Mark Davis kind of get this thing organized. And it sounds like they have a plan. I don't know if we, I, I think it's a little bit like uh, uh, Michael Corleone said, their plan has yet to be revealed itself. So we got to wait. <laughs> our, our true enemy has yet to reveal itself. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, Dolphins fired head coach Brian Flores. Mike McDaniel, 49ers OC, completed an interview. Leslie Frazier, Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore. Cardinals defense coordinator Vance Joseph, the betting favorite. Brian Dable, Bill's offensive coordinator. Good luck dealing with the owner, Stephen Ross. But you could be the head coach of Tua Tungvaluwa. Well, I think that's, you know, I think it could be an offensive coach. I, I've heard originally it was going to be J Jim Caldwell's a favorite in this. I think Dayball certainly would be. Who's, you know, the, the GM? I mean, Dayball has a relationship with Flory, so he's going to have information about what goes on. I think that's the other thing people don't realize is how much each one of these coaches talk to one another and exchange information about the jobs. And if you're Dayball, then you might have a chance at two jobs. I mean, the Giants may offer them because they may hire the Bills assistant GM general manager, and that could put him in position. So hopefully Dayball has an opportunity. He's worked really hard. He's been down in Miami before as the offensive coach. He was down there. Uh, and, you know, I think I forget who was the head coach when he was down there, but he was down there before. And we'll see what happens. I mean, the Giants are certainly interested. 
about where they're going to go. Well, you mentioned the Giants. Right now, Dable is the betting favorite with the New York Giants. The other candidates, Brian Flores, Ravens defensive coordinator, finally, Don Martindale in the mix, and also Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, and Doug Peterson. That's your list. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Martindale's been a really good defensive coordinator for a long time, and and I don't know if he's going to get an interview with the Giants, and yet, you know, my man, and I'm not picking on Jonathan Gannon, and I don't want to sound like this old guy who's bitter about the young younger generation. I really don't, but I, I just think, to me, it's the, the co- these teams want to devalue the head coach so they pick somebody like a Gannon with very limited experience and they can train him in their own way whereas Martindale is going to want to come in and run the program I think you know if you just ask me who the better coach is it's not close and lastly the Vikings they fired head coach Mike Zimmer scheduled interviews with Todd Bowles Kellen Moore Rams offensive coordinator Kevin McConnell Dan Quinn 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans who you were praising on Monday's episode of the GM Shuffle Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph but the rumors and the favorite Doug Peterson wins the Super Bowl with the Eagles fired after a bad year. Imagine him in Minnesota. I, I don't know if it'll be Peterson because the way they're talking about the job description, Peterson, one of the things Peterson happened happened in, in Philly was that he kind of wanted to run his own program, right? He didn't want to listen to all that. He had his mind. And I think Minnesota wants a young, I could see it being a Kellen Moore. I could see it being a, a Jonathan Gant. I could see it being somebody young that will embrace analytics, will embrace different ways of doing things. So uh, I'm not sure that, it, I, I don't know if Peterson fits that mold. Interesting. We'll see. Rams offense quarter, Kevin McConnell in the mix. You mentioned Kellen Moore, maybe 49ers defense quarter, D'Amico Ryans. Those options are there. Other football news before we get to the games. Howie Roseman of the Philadelphia Eagles says Jalen Hurts will be the Eagles quarterback in 2022. The Eagles, as we've mentioned previously on the shuffle, three first-round picks in this year's draft, 15, 16, and 19. That combined with their interest in Deshaun Watson is fueled speculation they could go after a veteran quarterback. Hurts' numbers this year, 61% completion, 3,144 yards, 16 touchdowns, nine picks, 16 touchdowns. That's it. But he did lead all quarterbacks, 784 yards and 10 rushing touchdowns. I think this is a player, Mike, they're just going to go year to year with him until they have a better option. So this isn't too surprising to me that for now, he's the Eagles quarterback. Yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. And if I was Nick Sirianni, I would spend a lot of time studying offenses, which I've been doing lately, the offenses of the 30s. The Notre Dame box formation might be something you could put in for the for Hertz. You know, that was where that was where Newt Rockney lined up the tailback behind the center and shotgun. Nice. And the quarterback lined up directly behind the right guard. And then the other halfback lined up between the, the the right tackle and the and the tight end. And then there was another back lined up offset to the quarterback. So it was like it looked like you they were in two tight ends shotgun with the back offset and then two backs were inside. You know, and then they ran the football all over the place. And Green Bay used this to uh, Arnie Herber and then Cecil Isbell. They ran all sorts of plays off of this. They threw the ball down the field. To me, if you're going to go all in on Hurts, you might as well go all in on some of the historical plays from the single wing because I think that would really help them. I don't mean that as a slot. I don't mean that as a knock towards Hurt. But I think what old is new, and I think if you look at some of those vintage tapes about what they did and how they threw the ball, what I don't think people really understand about the forward pass in the National Football League, which is fascinating, is there was a 1932 playoff game between the Portsmouth Spartans and the Chicago Bears. It was played in Chicago, and they couldn't get Wrigley Field because of something else was going on. So they had to play it indoors, and they brought the grass field in in front of 5,000 fans. It was a mess. The field was only 80 yards. So they had to move the ball back to simulate 100 yards. So once you got to midfield, they moved it back to the 30. 
right? And so they did that. And so during the game, Bronco Nagurski is running the ball and this point of the NFL, of, of, the, of this point of football, the forward pass could only be thrown if you were five yards from the line of scrimmage. Mm. So what happened in this game, and this is fascinating, right? What happened in this game is what happens to, in every playoff game. So this is a playoff game. The winner's going to go on. I think they're going to go play the Lions in a championship. So anyway, so during this game, Nagurski gets the ball out of shotgun, out of the box formation, and he starts to run and he stops and he throws a pass to Red Grange, clearly not five yards from behind the line of scrimmage. But there's no replay. There's none of that, okay? So there's nothing going on. And so they call it a touchdown and Chicago wins the game. And of course, the Spartans go berserk. It's, it's, it's like the, you know, the Des Bryant non-catch in the Green Bay game that was ruled. So they changed the rule. At that point, they changed the rule that all you had to do to throw a forward pass was be behind the line of scrimmage. That's 32. So that's what happened. And so then we saw Arnie Herber and we saw Cecil Isbell. And we saw all these great passers and, you know, start to come out of it. So my point of the story is, is that when you watch these tapes, you know, they were limited in terms of how they could throw the ball. It was all runs. And they were really some creative runs out of these formations. And if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Nick Sirianni, I'm going to start to do some of that stuff. I mean, I used to get on the team bus, bus number one, and Walsh would be in the first seat to the right, and he would be look, drawing stuff. And most of the stuff he was drawing was Clark Shaughnessy stuff. It was all Clark Shaughnessy. So he was always looking at ideas going back. And if Howie wants to go down this road, and I'm not saying they, they can't win this way. I'm saying it's going to be hard to win playoff games this way. You're going to have to throw the ball. It's a throwing league, right? You're going to have to throw the ball. And Hertz has proven throughout his career that he's not an accurate passer under pressure and he doesn't throw the ball with great rhythm or anticipation. That's what he's proven. Can you fix that? I don't think so. But if you're going to go all in in this way of the single wing, you might as well go all in and look at some of that stuff. Yeah, it's like those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You can go back and learn new things. And uh, by the way, Bronco Nagurski on the short list of greatest NFL names ever. I mean, that's up there with Dick Butkus. Oh, man. I think I think when you watch tape on Bronco— yeah. You know, uh, the chapter I'm working on now is called Then and Now. Mm. You know, could guys then play now? Mm. You know, and, and you know, and it's kind of educational for me because I, I, I admittedly am a, am a present-day snob, you know, but then when you watch some of these guys, like if you watch Don Hudson, yeah. wow. I mean, Don Hudson could play right now, no doubt. You know, Green I mean, Bay if, you watch, was, yeah. Yeah, if you watch some of these players from that era, Bronco Nagurski could dominate right now. I mean, Bronco Nagurski, they say he ran a 10-200 meter, which I find hard to believe because the 1920 Olympic champion yeah, was, what was Charlie the fastest Paddock. man alive. What was his record? The 1920 <laughs> Olympic champion, Charlie Paddock, he, he, in Antwerp, Belgium, won the Olympics uh, 100 meter at 10-8. So that's insane. Bronco Gersky would have been the fastest man alive. Yeah. But I'm saying that's the, that's the stuff going around. I mean, I've been researching this crap. I mean, like, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I remember Ben Johnson, 979 in Seoul, but I'm like, a 102. Well, yeah. I mean, but still, I think it's uh, Usain Bolt's 963. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, but what I was trying to do is draw a, a parallel between the, the how much the 100 meter 
has changed over a hundred years. Yes. Compared to, you know, athlete to athlete. I mean, when poor Charlie Paddock was starting over there, there was no starting blocks. He was on a dirt infield. I mean, <laughs> it was lined like a baseball field and the poor bastard's got to come out of it, you know? <laughs> it's definitely evolved over time. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk some football. We'll preview all this weekend's games. Who could be heading to the conference championships? Henry could return for the Titans. Jimmy G dealing with a painful injury, but the Niners have a chance. Plus, a rematch of the Rams and Bucks. We're all set for the football this week. Next. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds, and so much more. As the first round continues on, you can bet sides, totals, player props, everything at your disposal over on DraftKings. All you have to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SHUFFLE. New customers bet 5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SHUFFLE only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino. Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bengals and Titans kick it off. Derrick Henry could be back. He participated in a contact practice this week. Mike, they did a remarkable job winning without Derrick Henry, but how big an impact would this be to have him? Bengals at Titans, Saturday, 4.30 Eastern. By the way, close line right now. Titans are the number one seed, favored only by minus three and a half. You know, it's it's funny. So, you know, I was reading Pro Football Doc, I, I think, or that Doc, that David, he's the former trainer of the, and he was saying that there's a plate in this and it could be problematic. But when I watched Henry go through the bags, uh, you know, the video clip that they showed, I thought he looked really impressive. And I would be surprised if he didn't play a lot. I would. But uh, they also have Foreman. Foreman worries me because he fumbles the ball, you know, and he has a hard time with ball security. And I think that's the only way the Titans lose this game is if they turn it over. But that's the Titans season. They only lose if they turn it over. You know, when they protect the football and they play, and they're one of the best situational football teams in the league, when they do that, they're, they're really hard to beat. So for me, uh, you know, I love Tennessee here. I think this is a... I love Joe Burrow. I think he's done a remarkable job. I think this is a little bit of a step up for them, especially with Larry Ogajobi not playing Mm -hmm. inside. You know, I mean, they can run the football. They will run the ball. And the Titans are really good. And playing it, playing on the road, I think it'll affect the Bengal offensive line. I really like that. I like the Titans here this week. Julio Jones, by the way, underperformed a lot this season. We'll see if he can step up. You mentioned the Bengals and Burrow Chase. They're good. They're young. Maybe inexperience fits them. I am curious though. Mike Vrabel could be coach of the year. How do you Should think be. he's going to? Yeah. How do you think he's going to attack the Bengals? I think he's going to run the ball. I think the one thing, the one thing that you got to really understand is, is that they're not going to change who they are. I mean, they're going to play exactly who they are. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play action. Tannehill's going to throw it up. I think the real question is, can Mike Hilton tackle A.J. Brown in the slot? If A.J. Brown gets in there in the slot, see, I think what you have to do is, you know, 
Troy Aikman went off this week on on the Cowboys not running and taking advantage of the corner situation. Oh, yeah. And, and, and to a degree, I think he's right. I think there's too many scheme plays and not enough, you know, just attack the player. But the question you have to ask yourself as a defense when you line up somebody on A.J. Brown is who's going to tackle the big bastard? Like, who's going to tackle him? Like, and Hilton's going to have a hard time getting him on the ground. That'll be a, that'll be a tough challenge. So for me, I, I like Tennessee. I know that Cincinnati can be explosive and move the ball, but Tennessee is so good in those situations. I think that'll be the difference in the game. Game situations really matter at this time of the year, especially in the divisional round. Plus home field advantage typically matters now too. Titans should win that game. 49ers Packers on Saturday night, 8-15 Eastern. Packers are minus six. The big question here, the health for the 49ers. Fred Warner, linebacker, and defensive end Nick Bosa, both trending like they will play. Both those guys are critical, clearly, to San Francisco's chances. Jimmy G, though, dealing with a painful thumb injury. That's a torn UCL. He's going to need surgery after the season. The beginning of the week, Mike, I felt like the 49ers, hey, they got that win. It was a tough win against the Cowboys. Props to them. That's probably it. But if you're telling me Bosa and Warner are playing, I know the Packers are the favorite, but I give San Francisco a puncher's chance if they run the ball and if their defense can put pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Which they couldn't do the first time they played in week three of the season. You know, now every game from here on out is a rematch game. So this is a rematch of week three. And interesting, both the Rams played the Bucks in week three and the Packers played the 49ers in week three. The game was in Santa Clara, and the, and the, and, and the 49ers got behind 17-0 in the game. They scored at the end of the half. They took the lead with 37 seconds to go in the game. And then, of course, the great Aaron Rodgers throws two passes to Devontae Adams, and they kick the long field goal. Crosby makes it, and they win the game. But that was a game that the Niners really dug a hole for themselves. Garoppolo throws a first-half uh, first interception. They couldn't really run the football, but they got themselves back in the game. I, I think you're right. I think Warner's got to play. He's got to be effective with the speed. I think Bosa has to play. They rotated nine defensive linemen against the, the Cowboys and beat the shit out of the Cowboys. I mean, they beat them up front bad. And I think that was the difference in the game. Now, I don't think you can beat up Rodgers because he gets rid of the ball too quickly. But if they can run the ball, look, there's an old saying in football, if you can win two of the three phases, you can win the game. So we know that if the, if the 49ers can win the kicking game, which they should, and I would put Samuel back to return kicks. I really would. I just, he was dynamic. Yeah, I saw you tweet that. You said that you think there's a chance he could break one, which would be special. I mean, not only if he does, not if he, even if he doesn't break one, right? He's going to give you great field position. Like, you know, as, as Belichick would often say to get people, like, what are we saving it for? Like, what are we saving it for? Like, get his ass back there and tell him to bring it out, you know? Uh, but, I mean, like, when you look at it, uh, like, uh, Samuel holds the South Carolina record for kickoff return touchdowns. Think about that. He holds the South Carolina record, high school record now, okay? So, you know, I mean, he's just remarkable. And so, for, for me, get him the ball. So, if they win the kicking game, Back to the ranch. If they win the kicking game and they win offense, they win two of the three phases. The problem with this theory is, the problem with this theory is Aaron Rodgers because <laughs> he seems to be able to overcome everything. And this is going to be a true test of how much he can overcome because they can run the ball. They have to be able. Now, Sermon was the runner the first time they played him. They're a different team now with Mitchell than they were with Sermon. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, those guys alone are such a phenomenal combo. We haven't seen anybody able to slow down either of them. Do you think there's a chance, Mike, that San Francisco can at least neutralize Devontae Adams, thereby forcing Rodgers to find somebody else to step up? Because so far it hasn't worked for anybody. I mean, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, it's going to be really hard. I mean, look, Rodgers does so much for the team. 
Like, how do you take him out of the, it's hard to take him out of the game. Uh, but Bakari might play at left tackle. That might help. We'll see if he's healthy. I think the, you, even as bad as they played against the Bucs, as bad as they played against the Bucs, I mean, Brady gave, Brady threw three interceptions in that game. He gave him a chance at the end. They just couldn't close out the deal. It's just hard to play them up. They're 8-0 at home this year. Hard to play them, but they, they got to take the Cleveland program. I mean, Cleveland's loses by, what, 28-22? and turns the ball over four times. I mean, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're saying to yourself, we got to win the kicking game. We got to be able to win offense and we'll take our chances. You mentioned the injuries. Jair Alexander's questionable. Wide receiver Marquez Valdez Scanling questionable. And David Bakhtiari, the questionable as well, the great offensive tackle. Two more games to get to Rams and Bucks. The Bucks are only minus three as they'll be at home against the Rams. They've got serious injury issues right now with their O line, Mike. That could be a problem because you got Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller looking to put pressure on Tom Brady. No doubt. And and in the line, if you like this line at three, if you want to take the if you want to take the Rams, then wait because I'm t- I'm looking at my board here at uh, you know 11:07 in the morning uh, Thursday morning, and it's going to go to two and a half fairly quickly at, at, at offshore books and at, at uh, online books. So you know whatever whatever your betting preference is, whatever you decide to utilize, I would take a look at that. That's going to go down. First time they played them, the most surprising thing about the first time they played is is that. Brady was the leading ball carrier in the game. Fournette got hurt early in the first quarter. The fact that the Rams blocked the Bucks front was the most unbelievable part of rewatching that tape this week is the Rams did a great job with their offensive line blocking. And Stafford played well, but he misses Deshaun Jackson twice behind the defense for touchdowns. I mean, the score wasn't as close, and it wasn't a close score as it appeared because Stafford missed a couple throws. The Bucs are going to have to play way better. Now, I think they'll play way better on defense, and I think Fournette's going to play, and they're going to have to be able to run the ball. And playing at home, I think, gives them advantage with their defensive front. They're going to have to put pressure on Stafford. Mike Evans and Gronk, certainly both those guys were really good against the Philadelphia Eagles right out of the gate. And Stafford, to his credit, efficient against the Cardinals. I think the Rams win, Mike. I think their defense is going to put pressure on Brady, make life miserable. I think Stafford doesn't turn the ball over. I like the Rams to win, and I like the fact you gave that betting advice. If it's minus three right now, wait a little bit. Mike go to minus two and a half. One more game, Bills-Chiefs. This is the game of the weekend. Yes. Chiefs are only minus two and a half. Think about that. If I said that to you months ago, wow, the mighty Chiefs, but that's how good the Bills are playing right now. I think these are the two best AFC teams right now, arguably. The Bills won the first matchup handily. Chiefs were struggling at that time, though. Mahomes has established himself, but Allen, if he plays like he did, seven drives, seven touchdowns through five touchdowns himself, it's going to be a whale of a game at Arrowhead. Yeah, I mean, in the line, there's some shops, the line is a point and a half. Now, when they played there the last time, the line was the Chiefs were minus two and a half. So now they're minus now they're minus two minus one and a half. So it it really hasn't changed. The line's been pretty consistent. I mean, there's not a lot of variance. Now the last time they played, you know, the, as we as you said earlier, I mean, they just the Chiefs were not very good on defense. I mean, Buffalo only threw the ball 26 times in a game for 315 yards. They ran it 28 times. Obviously, Allen was the leading rusher. I mean, they were penalized 10 times in a game and it didn't bother them. They only had the ball 27 minutes in the game. Didn't bother them. I mean, they just dominated this game from start to finish because of the mistakes, because of the two interceptions that they threw. So, you know, and they lost two fumbles. So so they're minus, they're minus four in the turnover takeaway, and that clearly is why you're going to lose games. So, I mean, if the Chiefs turn this ball over like they did the first time, it's going to be really challenging. I think it's going to be, to me, it's the AFC championship game. We just get it in the divisional round. 
Yeah, especially when you look at the head coaching candidates as well on both sides of the ball. I always wonder if that's a distraction. We mentioned Brian Dable could be up for two jobs right now, the Dolphins, the Giants. Leslie Frazier is interviewing as well. Does that actually matter, Mike, or does Sean McDermott say, listen, if you guys are going to leave, that's fine. Right now, focus on the task at hand. I'm always curious about that. You know, the system's so screwed up. I mean, you got to give these guys chances, but yet you also want them to pay attention. I mean, the good thing is, look, we've played the Chiefs before. We know them. We kind of know what we need to do. And and now I think since the the win game against the Patriots, the Bills have really and the and, and when they lost the next week down in Tampa, I think the Bills have decided that they're running a version of the single wing because Allen's going to be their leading ball carrier. They're going to hand it off in there, but. The game is going through Allen. And I mean, Patrick Mahomes said it really well today. He said, look, they put a ton on, on Allen's plate, and they do. He's got to run it. He's got to throw it. He's got to make all the plays. And it, he's hard to defend because he's hard to tackle. They give him an extra long whistle in the pocket. And it's tough to play man defense with him because if you turn your back to this guy, he's going to take off and run for 20 yards. And that's what the Chiefs want to do. It's a hard matchup for the Chiefs. Yeah, a hard matchup for the Chiefs, and that's why... Part of it, too, I know people try to look at weather. They go, well, Buffalo played so well in the cold, but I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Kansas City. It's not like Kansas City's balmy at this time of year. And, and yeah. we focus so much on the quarterbacks for good reason, of course. Mahomes and Allen are such fun guys to watch. But I'm always curious, Mike, who are the X factors, right? Who is a player that could step up offensively, defensively, that may determine this game? That always happens in these games. You focus on the sexy Lamborghini, and then, hey, watch out, look at that Prius. That's one that actually made a, a difference maker in the game. Well, I think Hill's got to be the guy, right? They got to be able to make, he's got to be, he can't not come out of this game with three catches. I mean, he drives a lot of things for them, and they've got to be able to, to get him to make some plays and make some big plays. And I think the the, the 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 running back situation for the Chiefs has got to come through. They've got to control the football. They've got to be able to pace this game according to what they want to do. And then, you know, like all games, it comes down to their execution in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And 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 at the end of the day, Mahomes can't he can't take chances like he's like he's done in the past. I mean, what a great game! I'm so excited for this one. I don't know if I have the stones to pick the Bills, but I can see a path to where Allen steps up and Mahomes has a couple of turnovers, a couple of those moves, like you said, where he forces plays. It's almost like you know a leopard can't change his spots. Mahomes once in a while will get these risk, you know, these advantageous yep. positions that are not as strong as you might think. I think the Bills win this game. As always, send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Adam. The Cowboys and 49ers game showed an obvious difference in offensive strategy and play calling ability. The great Kellen Moore is supposedly incredible at drawing plays on the whiteboard, but fails to understand Mike saying it's players, not plays. Can you explain the difference of how a good play call like Shanahan does his job in comparison to Kellen Moore? Well, you know, when you talk to people about the Cowboys, they basically, they all tell you they run their system and that's what they do and they don't really care what the defense does. They're just going to do it. And that's what it looks like. So what a really good offensive play caller does is the offensive play caller really is essentially a defensive coordinator. So he understands what the defense is doing from snap to whistle. He understands the rules and regulations of every player on the defense. And so then what he does is work backwards. This is what Kyle does. He works backwards. He then looks at the defense. He gets in a formation. Here's what they adjust this. They adjust their coverages to the formation. And then he designs his plays. They're all core plays that week to tailor against the opponent. They just don't run what they ran last week. They run the same plays. They just do it differently. So they attack, they attack, 
the rules of the defense, knowing if you go this. So when you play San Francisco, San Francisco is the Pete Carroll cover three. They're going to line up in an eight-man front, and they're going to run with, you have to replace a guy that runs through. It's a replacement, so they force you to replace. And if you don't replace, you don't have it. It's going to be hard because they're so fast on defense. So you know the rules, you know what they do, and then you attack those rules. And that's what good play callers do. Whereas to me, Kellen Moore calls plays. He's not attacking anybody. This is a little bit of the criticism that Aikman had. And Aikman's right to a degree, but he also needs to carry it more forward in terms of attacking the adjustments within the coverages. It's just not about the corners playing soft, let's throw it out. Or if you play Michael Irvin like that, I'm going to throw you the ball. Because today they decide the coverages, it's in and out, it's bracketed, it's all that. You can play off, and all of a sudden, but when the ball snapped, you're rolling to it. So it does change. But when you attack exactly what they're going to do, and you specifically run that play against that. That's why if you're a young coach, they all talk about these beaters. Beaters are the worst thing because all beaters do is attack the coverage. They don't attack the rules. Great coaches attack the rules. The greatest coaches in the history of offensive football in the National Football League have all been intertwined in defense. Tom Landry was a defense coordinator with the New York Football Giants. You know, all, I mean, Walsh spent two years coaching defense. I mean, they all know defense. Ernie Zampisi, defense. So they know the rules of the defense and they can attack it. It's not just the players. It's about attacking the rules, like you said, find the identities, find the strength and the weaknesses. We get to the pop culture minute. Uh, let's get our Shakespeare on. I don't know if Mike's a Shakespeare guy, but I watched The Tragedy of Macbeth on Apple Plus, new film starring Denzel Washington as Macbeth, Francis McDormand, and Joel Cohn, of course, one half of the famous Cohn brothers directing, Hour 45. The common complaint, Mike, people say, well, I don't understand what they're saying. So two things. One, if you watch it on Apple Plus, you put the subtitles on. So when you read the movie, you kind of go, okay, I got the essence of what they're saying. I think in a movie theater, it'd kind of be hard, right? Shakespearean language, I don't really get the yeah. essence. But if you're watching it and reading it, like subtitles, you go, okay, I get this essence of it. Macbeth's pissed off. He's neurotic. His wife's telling him to go kill Duncan. Okay, I got it. But I tell <laughs> you, if you're an actor and you can do Shakespeare, I mean, Denzel Washington is as good as it gets. Remarkable performance. And he's a lot more subtle than you might think. I think a lot of these Shakespearean actors, it's kind of full of fire and brimstone, yelling and shouting. But the, one of the great lines, Denzel almost whispers it, which is, it is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I mean, great line. <laughs> great movie. Tragedy Macbeth, it's on Apple+. Plus. Nice. I, mean, I just finally, we finally started Yellowstone. Oh, nice. Season four. Have you watched it yet? No, I haven't. My wife's watching it right now. She's watched the first two episodes. I heard it was eh. it not. It, it's moving a little <laughs> too slow here. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on here. I, you know, I mean, that they, they, they've taken Beth to the extreme. It seemed like it's going to be the Beth, you know, which is fun and she's interesting. But at some point, you know, she needs to curb it a little bit. I like to see her more tactical than just abrasive. But <laughs> well, I'll keep going. We could use that like in a player. I wish she, I wish the coach is more tactical rather than just abrasive. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you know, it's like you know, it's one thing. It's like this isn't about who yells the loudest, right? Like you know, have some. I want some substance in it. You know, I think what made Beth so appealing in the first two seasons was that she had this incredible not instincts for business. She was really tough. And that she was also ultra smart and she could anticipate three moves. Now they've just kind of gotten her into she's just got the filthiest mouth in the building, you know, and you're losing how smart she really is. Yeah, there's more nuance to the character rather than just having a potty mouth. Uh, thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. New episode on Monday. It's going to be awesome. Games on Saturday and then Sunday at 3 o'clock and 6 30 Eastern. Go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. 